when we act together will we have the courage to change our lives and the world around us. And this is why community is such an important aspect of our human experience. Welcome to the Community Heroes podcast, where we celebrate and share the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Catherine Mann. On this show, we share the stories of people using their skills, experiences, businesses, and involvement through sporting clubs and service organizations to enrich the lives of those around them. Community is so much more than the town you live in. It's a group of people that care about each other and feel they belong together. They are the people that support you when you need it the most. They're the ones who share the same ideas, interests and attributes that you do. Now let's hear from the heroes that are pioneering, changing and impacting their communities. Hello and welcome to the Community Hero Show. Today I have the incredible and highly inspirational Trish Ryan joining us. Trish is the founder of Meg's Children, a registered charitable trust established in 2005 to support vulnerable Nepalese children who do not have any family support. Meg's Children works in partnership with the City Memorial Hospital to support the upbringing of vulnerable and at-risk children in Nepal by providing for their daily needs and meeting their right to education. These necessities in children's health and safety are therefore enabled solely by fundraising through the Trust, which is run by volunteers in the Aubrey-Wodonga district. Meg's Children is proud to say that 95 cents out of every dollar raised goes directly to the children in Nepal. Meg's Children in Nepal believes that every child has the right to education and the right to have their daily living needs fulfilled. Therefore, they support the upbringing of vulnerable at-risk children in Nepal to help them grow and flourish. Thank you so much for joining us, Trish. That's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're most welcome. It's such a beautiful story, uh, how you started, but please share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and and how Meg's children um, came to fruition. Okay. Well, we have to go way back to the beginning. So Meg was the eldest of our four children and she was born with spina bifida. And many people know all about spina bifida. But um, and she had a fairly, I suppose, a fairly hefty dose of it. But she was a bright, bubbly, oh, enthusiastic young girl and uh, went through school and then decided at the end of her schooling that she'd like to be a teacher. She wanted to help, oh, I guess, any children that are a little bit different to the norm. Um, and she, that, that was her dream, to help disadvantaged children. So she enrolled as a mature age student, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, at Charles Sturt University in Albury <clears throat> to study early, early childhood teaching. And her ultimate dream then at the end of that was to help other kids. But sadly, she died in the second year of her university. And so she never fulfilled that dream. So a year after Meg died, I might have to get a drink. I'm sorry. That's okay. You're totally fine. 
It's Glad okay. We can edit this out, so don't stress. <laughs> <clears throat> if you want to start back from it, you can do that too. No, that's all right. I just yeah. had, I've got a drink here. It always happens when I go on the phone. <laughs> all good, all good. Uh, so a year after Meg died, I went and volunteered at a children's home in Nepal. It was something I wanted to do when I was young and I never quite got around to it. I'm a, a registered nurse by training and at that point in 2004 I went. My other kids were fine and my husband was fine, so off I went. And I found this little group of children where I was placed and they were in a, well, they were in a shocking state. They were dirty. They weren't going to school on a regular basis. They had all sorts of health issues, malnutrition, scabies, hunger. They were just hungry. A couple of them had the little pot bellies, you know, from the malnutrition. So I stayed with them for a period of, I guess, about seven weeks and live with them. And I also lost a lot of weight while I was there. I didn't mean to, but it, the conditions were just horrific. Then at the end of that, when I was leaving, they said to me, uh, will I ever come back? And I said, oh, maybe. And they said, no, no one ever comes back. And that was what stuck with me. So when I got home to Australia, I um, spoke to lots of people and asked the question, would there be enough support to form some sort of organisation to help these kids? Thankfully, there was enough. And um, it's a long, convoluted story, this part of it, the government part of it. But eventually we set up Meg's Children Trust and it's a registered trust here in Australia, NGO in Nepal, and so we've been, that was official in 2005. So over those years, we have fundraised and looked after these children. We've also kept relatively small because we believe that education is absolutely paramount if you want to escape the poverty cycle. So we haven't, we've got, um, we've educated some kids and they're finished. But we don't have huge numbers because we want to be able to offer them a university career if that's their choice. So that's basically what we've done. And we've got uh, from those original children that I met in 2004, four of them have finished their university degrees and two are still studying. So, and others are coming on. So that's basically what we believe in and what we do. Yeah, beautiful. And so how were the programs and the education facilitated in Nepal? Well, we work very closely with the City Memorial Hospital and our children all, and we are guided very much by, by them. And one of the, the founder of that hospital um, it was actually on the Child Welfare Board of Nepal. So he was able to guide us absolutely perfectly in what, what things should be done, how the children should be educated. He could negotiate school fees, etc., with um, the local schools much better than we could. So he, he helped us enormously with that side of it. It was terrific. Yeah, it's great. And it's really sort of creating sort of on-ground connections. Is that a really strong point for Meg's children? Very much so. Yes, very much so. And we have our younger children all housed in a... Um, 
a building that is actually owned by the City Memorial Hospital and we employ local house mothers to take care of the kids. And there's a manager there as well, a wonderful, wonderful man by the name of Monaha, who is, he, he loves those kids. He and his wife live there. And he mentors them and encourages them in all aspects. He's just, he's a marvellous man. Oh, that's beautiful. And so how does this uh, challenge come about with orphans, essentially, just being really left to their own devices and not adequately cared and looked after? Yeah, there's there's so much poverty in Nepal and there was a corrupt government for many, many years. And they had the Maoist insurgency way back. And as a result of that, many children were either orphaned or abandoned. And um, that's how we got our original children. But now our younger children come to us. They're referred by the Welfare Board of Nepal. And those the, the country is divided into districts and councils and whatnot. So they, if some of our children come from very remote parts of Nepal, and the district officers there and the welfare people recommended that they come and stay with us. So that's how that works. We don't, we don't have to go looking for children. That's not how it's done. They're referred to us and um, we don't actually make the decisions and because we work a lot so closely with the Memorial Hospital, it's much better for them on the ground to be making those decisions. We yeah, simply finance it and take a lot of interest in it. We travel. I travel over there a lot, get to know the kids, and um, and I love Nepal. But obviously, I'm not travelling at the moment. No, unfortunately, and I know that's quite hard because you actually had uh, a graduation for one of your kids was were the first university graduate you'd seen. Yes, one graduation was in September. Is due now. Well, obviously that's not happening and um, I don't know what will happen next year, but I think, I don't know, I think it'll be a long time before we get back over there. I really do. And so in the current sort of climate and circumstances, how is everything still operating over there? Well, Nepal is having a struggle with COVID. Uh, Their cases are increasing daily. Not so many deaths. I think the deaths are around about 400 now and the population is roughly the same as ours. So I guess, you know, maybe that's not so bad. But the the hardship brought about by poverty and people losing jobs is just extraordinary. And our children are no, no longer going to school. They're having some online lessons. But a lot of the rest of the time they're spending at Noble House where they live with the house mums and they're doing a bit of online stuff and the rest of the time the house mothers are teaching them life skills. So all the boys are cooking, the girls are cooking. They're all, you know, they're making the most of a bad situation. Yeah, Thankfully no, none of the kids are ill or have been ill. So that's great. Yeah. And how has it been uh, for you to be able to still maintain providing the income for the for Meg's children? Well, that's been incredibly challenging, not only for us, but for every charity, because the dollar is not going very far. And um, like we're like everyone else, we have a we have a budget. 
that we must meet each year and we, uh, we've committed ourselves to looking after these children. So I guess where there's a will, there's a way and um, we'll see to it that they're educated and fed and looked after and, and we'll um, follow up on our promise. Yeah, great. Now, I don't know with your determination and your spirit, you'll make sure it's done. <laughs> We've been very fortunate in this area here, Albury, Wodonga, Holbrook. Uh, we've had a lot of support and a lot of people know us now and we've been around for 15 years. So we have been most fortunate that way and we're very grateful to all the people who support us and continue to support us. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And so what do you sort of perceive as the value the kids really get out of it? And it's like more than just, uh, uh, you know, education and and shelter, what's the, the true value and the difference you think that will create change for, for their lives? Well, a lot of our children um, were abandoned, so they had really very, very grim outlooks in the beginning. And I guess every third world country in the world believes, I think, that Education is the key to getting out of that poverty cycle. So I think that for us to see kids grow from, oh, little waifs almost to these strong, independent young adults, it's incredibly pleasing to see that and to see them step out into the world with a degree of confidence. I think it's great. And our younger kids now see the older kids and they can, they can learn from the older kids and think, okay, if I work hard, I can do that the same as them. And I think that's, that helps a lot too. <clears throat> Absolutely. It really develops that for the older ones, those leadership skills of encouraging good, being a good role model and the importance of that. And okay. if they do that, then the younger ones get the benefits of then, you know, it's a follow-on and a ripple effect. It certainly is. Yes, it's incredible. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, that's it's wonderful. Really of course, we won't be able to save everyone. I suppose in every large family, there's going to be a few who don't perform as perhaps to the best of their ability. But all we can do is offer it to them and support them and let them do the rest. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that's right. And you can't do it all for them. They have to want no. it and you have to yeah. be able to provide that platform for them, be able to empower themselves with the tools. That's right, absolutely. And so far it's working. They are feeling empowered. I was there last December with my my daughter and um, we've got a couple of boys, twins, Ram and Laxman, and, I asked, and they're 15 now. I asked Ram what he was going to be what he wanted to be when he was finished his schooling. He said, I want to be the prime minister and fix this country. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> so, yes. That's he's looking so forward good. Back. Yeah. <laughs> good on him. Go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. It's, why do you feel so driven to serve in this area? I mean, a lot of people, as the children pointed out, don't come back. What changed with you uh, to go, no, this is a non-negotiable, I'm going to do what I can to help and support these kids? Why are you so driven for that? I, I don't know. I think in the beginning I just thought, well, once you fly 
into Nepal and then out of Nepal into a wealthy country like Australia, you can't help but think, wow, this is not a very balanced world. And I think for a little bit of effort, we can make a difference. And now that I'm involved and have been all these years, I can't turn my back on it now. I can't and, um, and I won't. And I think that, that if you look at it simply and break it down, you can still have a normal life and do all the things that you want and travel. You've just got to surround yourself with good people and you'll get things done. You really will get things done. And you'll, I mean, post-COVID, hopefully everything will look easier again and we can continue on doing what we're doing. So I look at the kids who've graduated now and I think, yep, that's why. That's why you do it. That's why you do it. And they look forward. They don't look back. Yeah. Yeah, that's really special. That's beautiful. And how does doing it in memory of your of your beautiful daughter help and inspire you? I, I think I think what Meg always wanted to help disadvantaged people. She knew what that was like. She was in a wheelchair most of her life. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I, when I left there in 2004, I went back in 2005 and we were going through all the government regulations, et cetera, the kids knew about Meg and we were talking about what are we going to call ourselves? And they, it was their suggestion actually that we call it Meg's in honour of Meg and the fact that she wanted to help people but she never quite got to, to finish it. So that's basically it. Yeah, so that was, but I know that she'd be very chuffed about this whole thing. Oh, most really definitely. <laughs> that was great. And I love that. I did it. You hadn't shared that in your stories before about it was actually the children that chose it. And that shows just such an utmost respect for her as well as for you, too. I just think yes, that's yes, beautiful. That's right. Yeah. No, I think she's, um, she's still orchestrating the whole thing from wherever she may sit, I think, at the moment. <laughs> Most definitely, yes. no doubt. And so what are the sort of personal stories and experiences, reasons, do you believe that sort of led you on this path? Well, I think that I, I've been to Nepal now, I think it's 18 times. And as I go back each time, I, I can't, and then fly back into Australia, you can't help but think gosh, you know, we really have got everything here. So that, for a little bit of effort going over there and just reminding yourself about how lucky you are and how you can make a difference. And also getting to know the kids. I know the older ones. I've always known them all since 2004. But to get to know the little ones, I won't ever know them as well as I know the older ones. But I see them every year developing and their personality is developing. And I think, oh, gosh, it'll be interesting to see you in a couple of years, to see what you're going to do. You know, there's that sort of thing. It's not dissimilar to what you do with your own kids, really. So I, I love going over there. I love seeing them. Um, they all call me mum, so <laughs> I can't. Oh, that's take- beautiful. <laughs> That's great. So what did you do? Were you like, did you have a career and, you know, work prior to doing this as well? Or do you no, still? Yes, I was, a, I was a registered nurse 
and um, we lived oh, on yeah, a farm. Oh, yeah, sorry, you did mention that. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah. fine. So I was a registered nurse and I we lived on a farm and I had three other children, but they obviously had grown up and were all at uni when Meg died. And um, I don't know, I it just evolved from there. So I was busy. My life was busy anyway. And I just made it a bit busier. <laughs> oh, wow. And so how did that, that nurse instinct when you were in those conditions with the children, what was that like for you? Well, that was really interesting because you could see how simply it could be all fixed, all their conditions could be fixed. It was simply a matter of good food and clean living. And um, you, you knew that... Um, they just didn't need that much. You know, they just needed to get set up and then they'd, they'd respond. If you put someone in a clean house and give them good food and treat any conditions that they may have, they'll blossom. And they did. Yeah, they. Um, there was one little girl, Coppola, I remember, way back in the beginning. She used to cry at night with pain in her joints from, from malnutrition. And then... A couple of years later, you wouldn't recognise this child. You just wouldn't recognise it. You think, "Wow, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good." Yeah, <laughs> just amazing. And so you mentioned earlier about the corruption through uh, the Nepalese government. How did that really come to light and impact through the orphanages? Well, the the government has picked up its game a lot now. In back in those days, they were called orphanages, which is we don't call it the orphanages now. And a lot of orphanages, I'll use the word for back then, um, were being run by very opportunistic people. There was not a lot of regulation, and um, people were calling them orphanages, calling themselves the managers of these orphanages, and getting overseas funds, donations. And that was terrible because it wasn't going to the children. So over the years, the government has now, well, first of all, they want to deinstitutionalize these places and get the children um, back with family or, you know, that some or stay in a, in a children's home. We do have children in living with us, um, but it's more of a hostel setup. We pay for everything. And then if they've got family anywhere in Nepal during festivals and holidays, they can return to those family members. Um, but some kids will never be deinstitutionalized because they have nowhere to go. And um, but I think the government has certainly tidied things up a lot over there. A lot of places were closed down and they should have been. And uh, it's more tightly regulated now. It's very tightly regulated now. Uh, which is a great thing because children were definitely being exploited, definitely, That's but not so ours. <laughs> yeah. And so what's not the ours. education like for children over in Nepal? Well, if you live in the remote parts of Nepal, it's pretty hit and miss. But our kids go to school in Bhaktapur, which is just outside Kathmandu, and they all go to a private English-speaking school, so they're encouraged to speak English not to forget their language, but to just to help them job-wise, et cetera, to, to learn English as well. So, and our teachers are qualified and um, a lot of, in the very remote parts of Nepal, 
the teachers are not qualified. So it's, you know, it's really hard on kids. And there's at least eight of our kids that are from a remote part that weren't getting much education. And they love it now. You know, they're off to school. They're taking pride in what they do. Their teachers know where they came from and, and their histories. And they, they're responding really well. They really are. They love it. So there's a, there's a much stronger emphasis now on education and, and particularly educating girls, um, which is very important. Yeah, so it's, it is improving. I've still got a long way to go really though. Yeah, that's great. It's, yeah. it's Look, you always just want to celebrate the changes and the development in the positive right direction. And when you look at it from where you first saw it in 2000 and what was it, four, you first went four. over? Yeah, yes. to well, 16 years later, it's, it's a quite big steps Really, absolutely. Uh, you know, you it can is. you can kind of go. It's not very far, but it is a lot in a in a pretty good amount of time to see that consistent development in the right direction. And I think that's great. And because speaking with other people that have worked over in Nepal, girls really were not uh, allowed to. Well, well, given the opportunity to have education, because why bother? Uh, you will just yes. go and get married. Yes, exactly. And that was only so, 16 years ago and now it's a bit more as a known thing that girls deserve education as well and it's it's more regarded and respected and made important. That's right. That's right. And we can see that with our kids. They really, our girls, our older girls particularly, you know, they really do want to have a career and um, they want to be independent. So, yes, they won't all go to university, of course, but we've got two girls now ready to make that after COVID. They'll be, one wants to become a cook and actually one wants to be an air hostess. We're just not quite sure how that will go. But certainly the cook will be fine. She'll find plenty of work. So we'll encourage her to go to a cooking school and, um that will be great for her because it's an area where she'll find employment. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And Nepalese food is amazing. It's so tasty. <laughs> it is very tasty. I got very sick of rice when I first went there. <laughs> I thought I'll never have rice again when I came back. <laughs> and have you? <laughs> it's just yeah there's oh, something <laughs> it's just something about it yeah the, it's fresh it's flavors and it's so different uh to the other sort of asian cuisines uh, it's yeah we're very lucky here in yes. busy there's a nepalese restaurant and it's one of our favorites we just love it really mm. oh that's great yeah i that's know it's, a, it's actually the yes, first like one i've seen now. yeah we don't have well, we used to have one in Albury, I believe, but there's, I know there's a couple, there's a few, quite a few in Melbourne. Yes. Mm. No, their food is, I love the way they, yeah, they use lots of spices. I love that. It's so tasty. But in the, when, way back in the beginning, no, the food was ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> and there was rats and mice running through the kitchen and it was really not conducive. Probably to going there. to uh, turn the stomach a little bit as well. <laughs> 
And so I, I remember from hearing you speak at an event, you actually, when you said was there on the first event, you actually ended up with like lice and everything. You said the I kids. Had lice, I, had, I had a bit of everything. I had pneumonia a couple of times, certainly diarrhea. It's, um, yeah, it's par for the course, I think. But now, you know, I'm fine. The air quality, I have to say, over there is pretty bad or in Kathmandu Valley, it's quite dreadful. But um, I guess during COVID it's probably improved, but it, what the air quality was terrible. And for anyone with any sort of chest problems, they were very likely to end up in, in strife with it. So, mm, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, the air quality can be, you can almost taste it sometimes, it's so bad. Yeah. Mm. I always have this vision in my head of Nepal as still kind of in the mountains, just little villages. Like it, it doesn't quite <laughs> line up in my head that there's lots of pollution and cars yeah. and everything else. I just still think that there's these mountain goats running around and <laughs> that's what Kathmandu is like. I know it's uh, it's insane. I'm going over to visit as soon as we can, but uh, to write get right. my culture level up again but you know, yeah. I still have this yeah this is vision I think I just think the Nepalese people that I have met they're just such beautiful people that that's the sort of environment that I think that they've come from <laughs> and maybe some did <laughs> I'm sure the uh the outreaches and the rural uh, areas of Nepal are like that they're very much like that yes very yeah. much like that and yes, so there was also um, a really uh, shocking earthquake and landslides oh, yes. in Nepal. How was the impact of that on on your organisation, the kids, or just the, the country as a whole from your perspective? Well, I think the country is still recovering from that, and that was 2015. It, it certainly impacted all of Nepal, I would say. Our children directly weren't impacted. But the hospital that we work with, they opened their door. The hospital is a women's and children's hospital, and they opened their doors, and they had they were treating paper, people in the grounds on stretchers on bits of plastic. It was monumental, and they also sent teams up into the mountains to help, you know, just to have little medical centres set up and to help. But it, it was a horrendous, absolutely horrendous event. Yes, shocking. It would have been scary because they their structures of a lot of the homes and buildings there are not like we would see in Australia. They're more like lean to um they're flimsy. Homemade. <laughs> Some cubby houses more yes. would be how you would describe them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it would be absolutely horrifying to see and yes, to and all those people dying. Um, oh, no, the buildings are still, I think they have, the government has said that from now on buildings have to um, have X amount of strengthening steel or whatever they do, they have to meet certain standards, but I don't know how that's going. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there was so much devastation and um, I don't know that they, and there was so much money donated from around the world, which was wonderful, but it wasn't all. It didn't end up where it should have been always. Yeah, and that's a 
a hard thing, isn't it, with uh, charities and, yeah, NGOs is the funds that are donated quite often don't go to the people or the projects that you're intending it to. We saw this prevalently in Australia this year after the bushfires, which was just shocking to see that it's just rampant you know it's bad to see it in Australia but it it is everywhere and and I always do love and admire just that you can create that stance if we get 95 cents out of every dollar goes to the children and fulfilling their needs like that's incredible incredibly high amount of money because usually when you donate money sometimes it's like 20 cents out of the dollar yeah yeah no we're very all our all our um positions here in australia are all voluntary um and the 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 five cents that goes on admin is things like insurance your your web hosting your just the the things you have to do so the rest of it no definitely we can say 95 cents will get to the child yeah, Absolutely. I reckon that's one of the yeah best benchmarks I think every charity should be trying to aim for and they should be like be able to deliver if they're working at an effective level or within their means. Yes, I think so. It's very important. The dollar is very hard to earn and when people give one away, they want to know that it's it's going where they wanted it to go. Yeah, I so true. Very, I think it's critical. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the yeah. biggest challenges that you've faced with uh, developing the Meg's Children Trust? Um, I guess in the beginning the challenges were many challenges. And I guess from when, we, when I set it up, um, I didn't really know how to set up a, a charity. So I sort of jumped in feet first and then I learned <laughs> as you go along and you think, oh, my God, I had no idea I had to do that. So there was lots of admin type things that, that we struggled with. But since we've been working with um, the hospital, that's a lot clearer and we, we don't have to do the registrations and all of that. They manage that for us. So that's taken away from us which is perfect because that's not really our place. Our place is to support the kids and encourage them and, and finance their needs. So the registrations, we have to comply here, of course, but it's so much easier now than it was in the beginning. You know, we're trying to, we were out of our depth, I suppose, for in the first couple of years, but here we are. <laughs> you stuck to it and made it happen anyway. That's right. Good on you. That's right. And so you mentioned about, you know, all of your positions being volunteers. So that'd be a great support network for you and the work you're doing. How did you establish those support networks? Well, at start, we, when it first started, we were living in a farming area in the Weimar Valley. So everyone knew knew us, knew, you know, knew me. And I think I called a public meeting and there was a lot of support and people, then we formed a committee and people were very happy to be on that committee. And it it just evolved over the years. And um, as we're getting 
we're not getting bigger, but we, we've, we've got a firmer grip on the ground. So people are happy so far to come and take positions and we all work together very well as a team and um, it's, it's, it's great. We haven't, we've just had, we've been lucky. We've had so many loyal supporters. It's been so good. Yeah. Beautiful. What are some of your biggest sort of fundraising efforts and uh, events that you have? Well, we've had over the years, we've had dinner dances, we've had movies, we've had auctions. We had a gentleman walk the Camino a couple of years ago and fundraise. He did the whole 900 kilometres and that was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And uh, he again recently did a Father's Day walk for us and again got a lot of sponsorship. Um, We have to be very creative. So now coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, we've got um, an exhibition, a photographic exhibition. One of the people on our committee, David Taylor, is is a fabulous photographer. And uh, he's taken a lot of photographs of the bushfire areas and the regeneration that's happening since the rain. So we're having a photo exhibition uh, beginning on the 9th of October. So that we're hoping will be really good. Otherwise, um, we just have to be creative uh, when we know what we're allowed to do. We've also got a sponsorship package set up whereby you can give there's bronze silver gold and platinum so you can give two hundred dollars a month uh, sorry a year or a thousand dollars a year and then you can slot into those categories so that's been going really well as well but um we've got an open garden coming up which will be really fabulous in the Wyver Valley and uh, let's hope the the weather will be kind and we're able to do all these things. Yeah, but we just have to keep on being creative is the, is the key. Yeah, that's it. Thinking outside the box on how you can still reach everybody and, you know, be able to engage in a fun and interactive way so that's that right. they can give but also get something a little bit back out of a good experience right. for them. Yeah. That's right. You've got to have it. It's got to be a two-way street, really, hasn't it? It does. Yeah, people love to give and they live so generous and loving and and that's great that, yeah, they love to have that experience that they can take away so they've got some value. It's a value exchange there. That's right. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your dreams and visions for the future? Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> I, I just hope that Megs will continue to grow. As I said before, we don't want it to be huge because if you become huge, you you lose track of your edges. So we want to be able to do what we've always set out to do, which is educate properly, not just educate to year 10 and then say, okay, off you go. Um, like these girls who want to be cooks and air hostesses will follow that through. Um, so that's the sort of thing we want that I think is important for the future. Um, and just to maintain our relationship with the City Memorial Hospital because it's been so wonderful. And I think 
yeah, just to see Meg's keep on going. And when I'm gone, which we all have to go one day, um, I guess I hope it's in safe hands, whether it be as it is or whether it's with another organisation that's you wanted to continue. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. beautiful. And how about you personally? Do you have, if we didn't have COVID right now, any other things on your bucket list and that you'd like to do <laughs> oh, and achieve? My <laughs> well, my, I, yeah, we live in a fabulous part of the world. We live in Albury now. We've sold our farm. So I just, I just, my husband and I would like to travel. We want to get fit. I've, you know, walk in the hills. I love all that sort of thing. Go on long bike rides, all those things. They're fabulous things to do. I don't I necessarily have to be on a uh, cruise ship anywhere. I don't think that's me really. <laughs> so just be able to be out in nature and enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's, that's so important. And Australia is such a beautiful country with so much to see. Oh, sure is. It's so big, yeah. is you can still spend, yeah, the, a whole whole retirement just travelling around and, and exploring right. new places right there. Yeah, it could. <laughs> great. And so how has David, you know, been through all of this a great unfolding of the organisation as well? How's, how, sorry? Your husband. husband. Oh, my husband, Vince. Oh, oh Vince, sorry, I, I called him David. That's all right. Sorry, Vince. That's all right. <laughs> Um, no, he's been over quite a few times. He's very supportive. Hasn't been over as many times as I've been over. But, no, no, he's definitely, yeah, he backs the show the whole way. And my That's kids fantastic. do as well. They've all been over there. Yeah. So um, the whole family's very supportive and um, extended family now are involved on the committee. So that's great as well. Oh, brilliant. That's yeah. that's just wonderful. So you're really passing on that legacy and the torch yes. to the next yeah, generation absolutely. to make next sure it's in. Yes. And they would have been so inspired to see their mum create this. I think so. Yes, I think so. They, um, I think they thought, well, why don't I just play golf or something in the beginning? It was so complicated, but <laughs> I didn't do that. So, yeah, they're very, they're very supportive. They're good. That's great to hear. Yeah. And so how can people contact you? How can they assist and, and also follow along on the journey of Meg's children? Oh, um, well, we they can always contact me directly on my mobile um, or failing that we have a website, megschildren.org, um, and we will, if people follow that, um, and and want to contact me or anyone else on the committee, we're more than happy to talk to people. And we do have a Facebook page as well, so that's that's another way of contacting us. But I'm happy to talk to people, as are the rest of the committee. Yeah. Uh, great. Thank you so much, Trish. I absolutely love your story and I admire how you took a quite a, a very profound and tragic circumstance and was able to continue on with your daughter's legacy and being able to help vulnerable children to, to thrive and evolve into the great humans that they all have the potential to be. And it's just beautiful that you're able to do it in another country and create such a big change within there as well. 
Thank you, Catherine. We've been very lucky to have the support and thanks so much for talking to me. It's wonderful. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you're most welcome. Thanks, Trish. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more stories of awesome everyday people helping their communities, then make sure you subscribe to this show. Also, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me via email at communityheroespodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram just by searching Community Heroes Podcast. Also, you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn by searching Catherine Mahn, that's C-A-T-H-R-Y-N-M-A-H-O-N. I hope to hear from you soon.